I'm Steven. And I'm Allison. This past summer, we moved our four kids, three dogs, and a fish across the country from small town North Carolina to the Valley in Los Angeles. Join us as we try to keep our sanity with late night chats, snacks after bedtime, and together we'll find peace in the Valley. Hey, Allison. Hey, Steven. <laughs> Welcome back, everybody. We've taken a little bit of a holiday hiatus. Yeah. And uh, now we're back for a new episode. Um, we loved it so much, we're actually coming back and doing this episode again. <laughs> <laughs> I had some technical difficulties the first time we tried to record this episode, so we're taking another stab at it. You know, but I'm thinking of this like um, when... Um in the office when uh-huh. Pam gives Michael Scott like the second try with his, <laughs> <laughs> with his intros. I feel Jan like, Levinson, I presume. Yep, still, still me. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay, hey Jan, how's it going? Yeah. yeah. So um, hopefully we're better and more normal the second time around. We'll see. I don't make any promises on the normal part, but I, I think it'll at least be better. A little more rehearsed, maybe. I don't know. We'll see what happens. Um, I mean, we were pretty rusty, so... Yeah. You know. It's a dry run. It was a rough draft. Yeah. Let's give it a go. Okay. So, we took time off for yeah. Christmas and New Year's, and our kids have had three weeks off of school, mm-hmm. and so we wanted to just kind of really concentrate on spending time with them and... Um, before that, I had finals, and we wanted to concentrate on me not failing. And yeah, and, and you didn't. You <laughs> I did nailed not. It. Yeah, we I, nailed Christmas. We nailed New Year's. Yeah, Georgia nailed their bowl game. Mm-hmm. It's great. As a present time, everything's time. still happy. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So, and then um, we're coming back in actually with a series, which is exciting, um, and in honor of the series, which is about. Raising Teenagers, mm-hmm. we thought we would share with you um, for our casual chit-chat uh, <laughs> some of the fun things we did this Christmas that made our teenagers like us. Yeah, you know, um, so... One, one of the go ahead. things I was thinking was um, that we did a lot of competition. We did. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Because um, we're super competitive in general, and um, as a family... And um, me, so a lot. <laughs> and um, so anyway, so it was fun. And actually, when we moved to L.A., we moved to the same town as my older sister. So we mm-hmm. um, get to live with her, like getting to share and all that fun stuff with us now, too. And so we included her and her boyfriend into all of our holiday shenanigans. Yeah. So we had like cookie decorating. We had a gingerbread house uh, decorating competition that we made people vote on was very intense and who won that one the the gingerbread competition yeah oh gosh you know so long ago i don't know that i allison won (laughs) yeah and um and then steven had the great idea for us to do a game board a board board game game tournament tournament Mm -hmm. for a new year's eve night let me let me give the official title for the for okay. the for the rare few sure. who will probably appreciate my references, uh-huh. the All Valley New Year's Eve board game tournament. First, no, I, was, I messed up my own title. <laughs> I was so focused on All Valley because it's a Karate Kid reference. But anyway, yeah. Anyway, and who was it that won that one? 
I don't know. See, I didn't make it past the first round, so I kind of stopped paying attention. Oh, yeah. It was also Allison. <laughs> but she's not competitive, you guys. Don't worry about it. No, no more so than anybody else in the house. No. No. No, I'm just kidding. I know okay. what's going to be on your superlative next year. Most likely to be obnoxious about winning. <laughs> <laughs> so, Speaking spoiler alert. Yeah. No. Um, so, the biggest and most fun thing that we did this year was that we decided to make our matching Christmas jammy adventure into a superlative uh, nomination. Yeah, and so we were saying before, like, we have just learned coming out here that, like, the idea of superlatives apparently wasn't pervasive in everybody's high school experience. Yeah, I was sharing this with a group of ladies, and we were talking about, like, what are some holiday traditions you're doing or whatever with your family, and um, I was talking about this thing that we were starting, and... uh, after I got done, like, telling a whole story, um, someone sweetly was like, uh, what is a superlative? It's like, oh, gosh. Okay, well, everything I've just said for the past 10 minutes didn't make any sense, but thank you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, so, in case you don't know, before I get into the story this time, I'm going to explain what a superlative is. Um, so... Um, Back in, like, when Stephen and I were in high school yeah. um, and in our small town high schools, I they would vote on, like, superlatives. And so it would be things like most likely to succeed or best car. They're or like student-voted yeah. end-of-the-year awards kind of. It would usually be, like, a guy and a girl, and you'd go in the yearbook for it. Yeah. Did you get a superlative when you were in high school? Um, so I had a graduating class of 20 people. Ooh, My school, school was so small. Yeah. And I did not get one superlative. <laughs> there were only 10 boys in the class. <laughs> and I did not get a superlative. So, you know. I was trying to think of what superlative I got um, in order to share it on here. And I did get a superlative. And I remember my male counterpart. And I remember when we went to go take the pictures for it. But I don't actually remember what it was. Mm. It was some super cheesy and overly ambitious, like... Most likely to change the world. Yes, I actually think it was. <laughs> and, like, okay, no, probably not. You know what? You've changed a lot of worlds, though, you know, babe. I, I mean, I've changed... Changed mine. Diapers. I've changed, you know. But, yeah. yeah. I don't know that I've changed the world. But, anyway. Um, yeah, so I did get one. And we took our pictures at Indian Spring State Park. Hey, and big time. Jason Hodges was my male counterpart to whatever this was. Mm, hope you're out there changing the world, Jason. Uh, yeah, I'm sure he is. Um, <laughs> anywho, yeah, but so okay, superlative. So we thought it would be fun to get our kids like engaged with the whole matching pajama thing. Um, yeah, I mean, you wanted to make it fun so they would. Be into it. Be into it, yeah. Yeah, I mean, because we're kind of past the cute phase, you know, of like, oh, cutesy pajamas. So, like, before we've done, like, Marvel superhero, like, I um, had one, I had t-shirts ordered from this place called Passive Juice Motel that does, like, random weird pop culture shirts. And so, we had these ones that were, like, 
That was to, to get me into the matching pajamas. Yeah, exactly. Thing. Yeah, it was supposed to like the cover of the Giving Tree, and but the Giving Tree was Groot, and then he was giving an apple, apple to, to, uh, Rocket. to Rocket. Raccoon, yeah, yeah. characters so, from Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah, and it was green and red, but um, and for Christmas, you know, but super cute and got everybody still feeling like they were cool. Oh yeah, I loved it. Yeah, so. In the name of being cool, I was trying to come up with something for this year and um, decided on superlatives. So we had a night where we voted and, like, we had um, different possible superlatives, like, written out on um, solo cups. And then I, like, lined them on the table and gave everybody, like, a stack of post-it notes where they could write down names and stick them in the cups. And we all voted on the categories, which, which person in the family we thought resembled that superlative the most yeah so it's super fun so um and i sorry i was just gonna say while you're collecting your thoughts a note on matching pajamas too Mm. from from the husband and father role of the family um i know there's some there's some hot takes or some sort of like manliness uh (laughs) A card involved and in, in whether or not you're into that or not um, um don't don't take yourself so serious <laughs> if you're in you know if, if you're like you're trying to draw some kind of line at that like just be with your family and like the only caveat and, and allison to her credit has one channeled my my dorky passions with the theming of it in the past and also Every time she picks something that's really comfortable to wear, which matters yeah. even more. So yeah, I'm not gonna make you wear any of those like butt flat pajamas. Don't worry. What in the world? Like, <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, like now that I can understand, but like you know, I don't know, guys out there who are like too cool for that. Like, if you're already a husband and a father, like you don't have anything to be too cool for in your life. Anymore. <laughs> Like, and that's not because dads are dorks. It's because it's, that's a mark of achievement. But dads are dorks. Yeah. Yeah. It, that, that is this evolution, this pinnacle of achievement in that dorkiness is something you're conditioned to be ashamed of when you're a teenager. Right. But you get to embrace that power as a father because you learn how to utilize that dorkiness mm-hmm. to one, embrace who you are as yeah. a dork and also revel in the potential cringing of your teenage children. Yeah, sure. Don't use it as a weapon, but if it happens, take it as a blessing when the moments come. But yeah, so matching Christmas jammies um, yeah, are sorry. give me warm, fuzzy feelings. So, you know, we're going to do that thing. Um, and so we did the superlatives this year, and um, our youngest was voted most likely to change his Christmas list the week of Christmas. And that is him. Oh, my gosh. I think he did that. Didn't he try to do that this year? Yeah, or was that a yeah. And then he was like, he he said actually when he was saying the thing, and now I don't even remember what it was. He was like, um, I think I still it, it's the week before Christmas. I was like, no, <laughs> no, it's not. Um, We've already given you the shirt, so. But he he tends to make a list early. It's very long and it's very exciting. And you're like, okay, are you sure about all these things? And you're like, yes. And it's usually longer than everyone else's. And so mm. you're trying to narrow it down. And you pick what you think is going to be the most exciting off of that. That kid would have been a handful if he had been raised in the Sears catalog generation. Oh, yeah, yeah. We would have run out of ink. 
Right. And circling things. So you try and you, you get the things you think would make him the most happy. And then, like, inevitably, a couple days before Christmas, like, just randomly, he will be like, did you remember that I wanted? And then he will say a thing he has never said before. And you're like, what? And he was like, yeah, it's the thing I want most at Christmas. This year, I think it was actually roller skates. And he had not put that on his list. It was never mentioned. And all the times where I would repeat back, are you, so your favorite thing or the thing you want most for Christmas is. And then the week of Christmas, he was like, the thing I want most is roller skates. And I was roller like, skates. what? You have not said roller skates any other time. And he was like, well, I thought you knew that. <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> so I was like, see, you're, you're living out your shirt. And he was like, no, I'm not changing my list. I thought you knew that. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Anyway, so he tends to do that. And then he's like, you know, this, this is the one and only thing that would really make my Christmas. And without it, nothing else matters. So then you're trying to scramble. Yeah. Even Santa checks his list twice. I mean, come on, man. Like, you, <laughs> me sitting there trying to change that stuff. It's anyway, a lot yeah, of pressure. Youngest, most likely to change their list the week of Christmas. Yeah. I guess we can move upwards in the age Sure. Brackets. So the next is uh, lovingly known on the podcast as Parsley, but since the house is actually empty of kids right now, which is exciting, yeah. Rosemary was voted uh, most likely to shake oh, all the Christmas presents. She just presents. texted me. I'm just kidding. No, 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 she didn't. She didn't. But that could have happened. Um, yeah, most likely to shake all the Christmas presents. And she did do that thing. She did. She, the anticipation of gift getting gifts is just, I mean, she just wants to explode. Yeah, she does. She really is like Buddy the Elf when mm-hmm. he finds out Santa is coming yeah. like that level of excitement she really yeah. can be she does like the fred flintstone feet when she's standing <laughs> in front of the christmas tree yes. she's just so excited she can't stand it which is ironic because the second category she got the most votes for which is also equally true mm-hmm. is most likely to wake up last yeah yeah because it's like when she's awake she is so excited but the girl loves to sleep and i do too so i understand that but you know what? Almost securing that nomination, she took that so personally uh-huh. that she like forced herself to wake up. First she did. On Christmas she did. Morning. This was her first time, other than when she was an only child, that she yeah. was the first <laughs> Um, yeah. But anyway, so she. And if you're confused by that, because she is our middle child, go listen to some other episodes. Yeah, she's, go <laughs> she's listen to our adoption story. Our first episodes. child. But anyway, um. So, yeah, so she is fun and uh, loves Christmas, and she's cute. And don't buy her anything fragile. Yeah. What else is funny about her shaking all the Christmas gifts is she's a terrible guesser. (laughs) That is true. You you can, without worry, let her shake all the gifts. You can let her squeeze a bag. She's not going to guess what's in it. You can wrap a book. Mm -hmm. We did. in, In paper. To where it still looks exactly like a book. Mm-hmm. And she won't. And nope. that's what it is. Yeah. 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 
So it's a great quality for her to have. Yeah, I think it's just the excitement. She gets so excited she can't even think straight. Yeah. You know. Which you know, that's great, honestly. I mean yeah. that's one of the that's one of the things you want to have back as a grown up about Yeah. About the celebration and stuff. Right. As you get older. And then um and then we have Jude who mm-hmm. um having been born on the equator and lived there for the majority of his life at this point. Um, it's cold, bless it, all the time. Um, and so... And we're in an unusually cold winter, for at least for L.A. Yeah, so the kind of the joke in November when we voted on this was that he was going to be the one of us who still froze in Los Angeles um, at Christmas. So that's what his superlative was, most likely to still freeze in L.A. Yeah. Um, but it actually turned out that we all froze because yeah. it's been an unusually cold winter. But he here. was the most likely to do it. Yeah, he was. <laughs> true um and then molly was most likely to rock a christmas sweater and she rocked all of the christmas Every sweaters single one yep she has so many and she's adorable in all of them and yeah, she gets she very excited cute in all of them too yeah. like i feel like if you invited her if you gave her an invitation to an ugly christmas sweater party she wouldn't think that she'd be able to find an ugly one yeah no she loves them and uh yeah she Gets very excited about Christmas Spirit Week at school. Um, She's super participatory in that. Yeah. So, um, yeah, don't want to tease her too much, but we we did kind of laugh a little when we hosted a Christmas party for the high schoolers' friends. And a lot of the girls who came were dressed um, very cute, you know, like like little sorority girls going off to a party. Right. And um, Molly had, like, elf socks that came up to her, <laughs> her knees on top of Christmas leggings. She was in a Christmas spirit. And, like, a Christmas sweater and, and, and Crocs because that's Molly. And, and she was totally in her zone with oh, that, yeah, too. Oh, no, yeah. She that's loved it. Love she was digging her. it. And, yeah. um, and I was like, yeah, that's so Molly right there. Um, so it was great. And then, um, you, me, I was stare all night at the lights because uh-huh. Christmas lights are my favorite part of Christmas. And yeah. I try not to get like super Jesus jukey on everyone, but <laughs> lights are like so special to Christmas because I do think it's like, um, you know, that's that's the whole point it's like the light of the world came and i think when we like put up all our lights and um everything shining bright it's like that's that's the hope that we have it's like this bright light in a dark world um and there's all this joy um that comes bursting out and everyone gets to freely enjoy it and see it it's not exclusive it's like anyone driving down the street (laughs) can enjoy the light right? yeah and our neighborhood started enjoying it like right after thanksgiving so. <laughs> and um so cheesy or whatever i think that lights are like my favorite symbol of what christmas is all about well i love lights i mean i love them too and i'm certainly i'm not the superlative one but they are there is a um there's something special about those mm-hmm. that i really enjoy um mm-hmm. as well and last but not least, you were unanimously voted most likely to eat all the Chex Mix, <laughs> uh, which is true. Um, yeah, 
Um, and I won't get too deep in the weeds on it, but I had just a very specific recipe of Chex Mix that I like that my mom made when I was little. And Allison has graciously continued to make it. Yeah, I've tried to fancify it and go with the Pinterest recipes, and it's a no-go. No, it's a no-go. Very yeah. specific, very plain. Some may even call boring version of Chex Mix, <laughs> but it's what I love. And uh, Allison loves me, so yep. she makes it that way, which is really kind of her. That's right. I got the recipe from your mama, and I do it like that. Keep it simple. Keep it simple. Yep. So, um, yeah, if I make a big batch, we're bound to have a moment where I'm like, what do you guys do with the Chex Mix? And the answer to that is Stephen ate it all. Yeah. That's me. That's who I am. <laughs> um, yeah, it was either that or watch all the Christmas movies. But honestly, that's something we all do as a family. Yeah. Um, and while watch movies is definitely a personality trait of mine, mm-hmm. that was really a more universal uh, superlative of the family. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so then um, that was really fun. So once we voted... I had t-shirts made on Etsy, and um, it it was super cute, and the kids loved it. And Jude even said it was his favorite part of Christmas, so we're going to do it again. Well, And they they kept him warm, so. Yeah. Um, So we're going to just make it into an annual tradition, and I'm super excited to have started something that our teens are behind. Yeah, it was a lot of fun, and the pajamas were really comfy, too, so fun to sleep in and way around the house and yeah i paired it up with um black santa jammies that i got from old navy so <laughs> thank you old navy yeah super fun but i guess we can transition yeah so kind of um we were wanting to start a series on raising teens um and as steven and i talked about this this is something i've actually wanted to write or talk about for a while um because I want people to know that raising teens can be an absolute joy. (laughs) Um, And I actually think it's a super fun phase of parenting Um, that you get to start loving your kids in a really new way where they become um, more like, not all the way there, but (laughs) more like your friends um, and less like, um, children that you have to um, coach in all things. And so, um, and they really start to come into their own um, separate from, um, you know, being an extension of you, <laughs> but really being themselves. And it's so fun. And I want people to know that. Yeah. I mean, just getting to sit, <coughs> I say sit by, like we're not participants, but mm-hmm. and we'll get into the sort of spectating aspect in a few mm-hmm. minutes. But just being able to see these kids kind of grow into their own skin and still, you know, retain what you remember precious about them in their younger years, but see that kind of evolve in this sort of butterfly kind of metamorphosis and yeah. grow is a, is a real privilege. And there's a real, there's real joy to be found in that rather mm-hmm. than the, just the dread that, you know, you'll hear a lot of parents say because of what our culture dictates about teenage life. Yeah, for sure. So, um, yeah, so I've wanted to do that for a while, but I, I think I've had some fear of, like, we're not ready to do that because I have to have completed this stage of parenthood to have valuable words about it. 
And that's so silly because that's really so like product <laughs> based. Yeah. Um, like as if our children are a product that I am going to have produced and um, if it comes out good, then we have something valuable to say. And if, you know, I burnt it, then <laughs> we don't put it on display. <laughs> right. Um, it. So, you know, um, but they're not a cake. And so <laughs> yeah. um, there's no end result. Um, there's no, like, um, yeah, nailed it or failed it. It's mm-hmm. um, a journey we're on together, and um, there's there's stuff to say about it right now yeah. while we're in it. Um, Reporting and so, live. <laughs> yeah. So without further ado, we're going to get into a series we're just calling Raising Teens, and we're going to start our snack of leftover Christmas candy yes. and begin our real episode time now. Yeah, a lot of <laughs> chocolate and mint-themed chocolate. I will give a quick shout-out to, I think, my favorite, and in terms of the, I'm sorry, I'm delaying our actual conversation real quick <laughs> again, but out of all the little sort of knick-knacky Christmas candy that we had this year, um, my favorite one that Allison got for me, I'm a big uh, no pun intended. I'm a big nut for Reese's um, peanut butter cups and stuff and in all their forms. Um, and Allison got me some Reese's miniatures that have like, they're like a peanut brittle flavor, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're like a white chocolate on the outside, which is not always my favorite for the Reese's cups, but there's like little chunks of nut in there too. And it just works so well and it's a great flavor. I really enjoyed it. So thank you for getting that for me. Yeah. That was, I ate the last one tonight. So I just, <laughs> ah, another time. Yeah, I know, but enjoyed. Okay. So teenagers. Okay. Yeah. So teenagers. So Um, We have several things that we have planned to talk about, but tonight we're going to begin with just kind of some overarching parent philosophies that guide our parenting, really of everyone, but um, really kind of focusing in on how that, um, tweaking those, I guess, to narrow in our focus on our teens. Um, So if you don't know, we currently have a 14... 16 and 17 year old Mm -hmm. um and they are all um just super different personalities that they are um across the spectrum so i think we're (laughs) we're getting a very well-rounded view of the (laughs) teen years um a real sampler plate yeah and so um anyway so we're gonna dig in all right let's do this yeah so one of the first um, things I think that comes to mind when we think about this is what Stephen was saying already. It's like kind of society dictates this like dread around yeah. the teenage years. This really unwarranted. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that um, we just have heard that so much like, teenagers are the worst. They're so difficult. I dread my cute little baby becoming that. Um, and there's a whole false narrative that the teenage years are destined for rebellion. Yeah. Um, and I won't say that your kids aren't gonna like test all the boundaries because of course they do, but so do your toddlers. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's Um, just a part of life, not just teenage life. So I'm definitely not saying that. Um, but 
I am saying that I don't think the idea that the teenage years are destined for malicious rebellion is a given. And I don't think that narrative comes from God. Yeah. Um, it's, it's not a biblical or God given narrative. Um, I don't mean to like step on where we're going here, but like, you know, I know we'll get into this in a second, but like, uh, um, this is the beginning of a time of autonomy, you know, for kids. And so like, I wonder too, if sometimes it gets the bad rap that it does because we collectively Mm -hmm. as parents have to, we can't just like tell a toddler don't do, it's not like with a toddler where you like don't do that you know you have to be subject under my authority we're starting to loosen the reins mm-hmm. on their independence which means we have to in some sense you know give a little bit yeah and that and yeah like i don't know that rebellion is a natural part of um the teen years but i do know seeking out independence and identity formation are a natural part of that yeah um And I think if, as parents, we fail to let go and let our kids naturally go through those phases of development, that becomes or necessitates even rebellion. Yeah. Um, And so what we know from, you know, child psychology and development is that in these years, kids are... um, kind of breaking from uh, dependence to independence. And they're also going, um, trying to form their identity, you know? Mm -hmm. And anytime we're in the crux of a developmental phase, we're one foot into two things, you know? And so we've got kids who are one foot into, you know, my family dictates my identity, and one foot in, I'm making my own identity. Yeah. Um, and that's that's still true even for our believing teenagers whose identity is in Christ, is that they they have one foot in, I'm defining that by how my parents have told me, and I the other foot in, I'm learning for myself what does that mean. And I'm I'm learning to define for myself what it means to be hidden in Christ. Um, there's even external environmental identity pressures yeah. coming too, you know, through education or specialization and things in life. Right. And then and then the the aspect of that independence versus dependence is a huge aspect of development here. And so we see kids getting to that age where they're ready for some level of independence then their brain's not fully ready to make (laughs) independent decisions well, you know? And so um, there's a real tug at both ends. Yeah. And there's society expectations at both ends. Like, hey, mature, be grown up, and then also still do everything your parents tell you to do. You know, and it's like this back and forth that's really hard, but kids are needing to test the waters of their independence because they're they're nearing the age of being, you know, flying the nest here. Yeah. And they've got to start testing out that independence. And so we see kids trying to test out these things, test out different versions of their identity. Mm-hmm. Um, we can all look back and laugh 
and our own attempts at trying out different versions of our identity. Yeah. <laughs> the chain wallet didn't stick with me it's for very long. It's an awkward time. Yeah. You know, um, <laughs> but it is normal. It's a normal part of our development, and it's also a tough part of our development. Yeah. And so I think, though, um, what can happen is that we, um, as parents, can fall into the trap of linking our identity to our children. Mm. And so we can't see them as autonomous beings with their own goals and their own identity and their own plans for independence. And we're not ready for it. I'm, I'm literally not ready for it, but (laughs) you know, um, and, and we just, we just hold on too tight to the point that our kids have to push hard against us. Yeah. Um, and so I think one of our goals is to hold loosely enough that our kids don't have to push that hard. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's a scary thing yeah. to do, you know, because, you know, the things I think, you know, we all, I think this is a safe assumption, are conditioned to hold tightly the things that we value. You know, and who would it, what, what more highly thing can you value than the people you love, um, particularly your children? And yeah, I mean, we, who you've spent so much of their life being responsible for and protecting and, and teaching. And, and as those times come where it's time to let go a little bit, I mean, that's, it's not easy. It's not easy for them and, and it's not easy for parents either, but it is, ne- it is necessary. Mm-hmm in order for them to thrive. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So as we kind of think about that idea of development and all those things, um, one of the kind of teaching tools, I guess, that got us to this place in our philosophy was um, a parenting class that we took um, from our old pastor at um, the church we went to in North Carolina, Open Door, um, Pastor Dwayne was teaching a parenting class. And um, one of the things that he was talking about was like the idea of how we're moving through parenting um, phases, like gradually giving up control. Um, And so like realizing what kind of in sports metaphors, like what type of coach our kids need. Um, and I'm not going to remember because it's been years exactly all the sports analogies that he gave, but I think I can get to the heart of what he was teaching um, with my base remembrance of it. Yeah, you <laughs> um, got this. And so, you know, he was explaining, like, in the early years of our parenting, we're like the t-ball coach who's out there with the little kids and – you have to like put the ball on the tee and then you have to put your hands around their little hands and you help them swing the bat and then they run the wrong direction and you have to coax them over to first base, you know, and it's like a whole thing. And you're like to be snack dad. Yeah. And you're basically doing, you're, you're playing the game for them. You know, (laughs) (laughs) they're just along. Um, you know, and that's, that is how parenting begins, you know, like your kids know nothing about life and you are having to literally help them with every aspect of it. And they may not even be able to possess the wherewithal to have any appreciation for what you're doing. Right. And you can't tell them what to do. You have to like do it with them. Yeah. You know, 
Um, and a lot of the early phases of parenting are like that. Yeah. You know? And then you're a base coach, you know, and you're out there on the field with them and you're very interactive, but you're, you're still, you're now instructing mm-hmm. more than like actually putting your hands on their hands, you know? Right. Um, and then, you know, you're coaching from the sidelines eventually, you know, and you're giving instruction and then watching them go out and either nail it or or totally fumble it trusting trust <laughs> them know? to execute the plays yeah and then but you see you see all of it and you come back in and you huddle harder and you know and you're just slowly transitioning um where you're giving more and more of that control over to your kids and you're becoming more and more um, of a spectator of their life yeah. to eventually where you are that. You're ideally sitting in the stands eventually, and you're a spectator of their life. Hopefully a trusted spectator that can holler out plays every now and then yeah. right? <laughs> right. Yeah. when they need an extra little tip. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but you are a spectator of someone else's life. Yeah. Um, and that's the goal. The goal isn't to always be their coach. Um, and so as we think about that, we realize that, you know, you can't go from the T-ball coach to a spectator. No, it's a journey. Right. And so, um, what we've learned and what we're learning with our teenagers is that they really need us to be transitioning. Um, and so we've got to have more and more of that sideline coaching where we're letting them go out and make the plays all by themselves. Um, and we're just letting them come back and we hash it out together. Mm -hmm. Um, and so that transition has been a marker of our parenting all along. And now we're definitely in that phase where we're doing a lot more, um, hands off. Yeah. Stuff. And I mean, it's not without its obstacles. I mean, you know, sometimes uh, mm-hmm. we have discussions with kids around the dinner table and, you know, one of our kids will tell me something that happened at school. And I'm like, you know what? I'm, I'm going to email your teacher about that. And, you know, and Allison has to be like my get back coach, you know, the kinds <laughs> that like grab the guy by the belt and pull him back onto the sidelines. If you're a Georgia fan, you know the guy. You know exactly who that is if you're a Georgia <laughs> fan, for sure. Um, you've seen that guy many a time. Um but, you know, so, I mean, yeah, it's it's imperfect, but like it is, it is, a, like Allison said, it's a journey into yeah. that Yeah, and it's definitely space. not, we're, we're not totally hands-off. I mean, no, you know. Coaches aren't, aren't <laughs> totally hands-off, no. You know, but um, don't get us wrong. We still, like, confiscate cell phones and rant. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, um, but, no, but we're definitely leaning that way. And I think, um, you know, one of the things we were talking about is, like, um, just kind of an example of that for us has been like the choice that our family made to send our kids to public school. And um, we did some years of homeschooling and then we um, ended up praying and um, deciding that public school was the right choice for our kids. It's definitely not the right choice for every family. Sure. We're not saying that. Yeah. But just as an explanation of kind of how this philosophy flushes out for us is like this thinking that um, our kids are going to be living in the world 
Mm -hmm. um, with all sorts of people. We want them to know and love all sorts of people. Um, And knowing and loving all sorts of people means you're going to have all kinds of exposures um, beyond just the things that Stephen and I would choose to like disciple and teach our kids. Yeah. And there's no better time for them to be exposed to those kind of things than a time where they're still living with us and we can actually talk to them about it Yeah, while they're living under our roof. Exactly. So because we know that's going to be a part of their life, we want it to be a part of their life now um, because one, we want them to be growing and understanding and empathy of all people um, from an early age. And two, because we want them to be going and getting that independence away from us and having those experiences and then coming back to our dinner table and hashing it out with us. Where Stephen and I, Stephen and I still get to be like the voice of reason yeah, um, and kind of the um, coach of understanding um, how to process all of these things. Mm -hmm. Um, And so um, we're hoping that because we're talking through all of those things now, that it won't be like one day they launch out of here and are suddenly exposed to a thousand things they never were exposed to and don't have parents to come back to the dinner table too. Right. Because they're living on their own at that point. And I mean, too, like, I mean, if I I can go back a little bit, not, I mean, I'm not speaking ill of my parents at all, but like, I mean, they, they, I, I think they made some different choices they thought was best for me and my brothers, um, and how they raised us. But you know, I think at times, based on some of the schooling that I did and things like that, that that I experienced some some culture shocks, I guess, you know, later in life than I would have if mm-hmm. we'd made other choices. And mm-hmm. and um, I had a role in some of those decisions as well. Not to say that all on them. But, you know, the older you are when you experience that kind of stuff or the more further removed away you are from that parental uh, child relationship, I think, you know, the harder it is to, as a child, to go to your parents too sometimes if that hasn't already been instilled. Yeah, if you're an adult experiencing that for the first time, you might feel like I should be able to understand and navigate this on my own. Right. Whereas a kid is, or a teen, is already going to be like, I know I need, or we hope they know they need their parents' help. And so I think it's yeah. a more natural um, seeking out, you know, the conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, so that's one big piece of it is that gradual um, pulling back. Yeah. So, you know, as we talked about that, we talked about, like, respecting our kids' growing autonomy and them as an individual person and, Um, seeing them apart from ourselves and another big um, overarching philosophy of our parenting is viewing our children as our neighbor in the biblical you know like a sense of that as we think about um, the command to love our neighbor as ourself and I think early in our marriage we um, like kind of heard um, the teaching that you know your spouse, your spouse is your nearest neighbor. Um, and so um, they're the first like kind of line of application of that. And then as we became parents, we were like, okay, and our kids are our, our next nearest neighbor, right. you know? Yeah, exactly. Um, and so if we love our children as we love ourselves, um, what's that, what's that mean? And, um, I think 
it begins with seeing them as individual people, individual yeah. image bearers of Christ. Um, that they are. And not an extension of ourselves. Right. Um, and that's a danger to think of them in the latter form first, because that really kind of puts us in the creator role mm-hmm. more than more than God. And I don't know. I don't know anybody who's intentionally doing that. Right. But, but it's just that's a, a dangerous place happen. to look at. Yeah. And so we love them as ourselves when we see them as we see ourselves as a as a individual created by God for God, not created by us for us. Right. right? And um, so they are independent of us. They're value is in Christ and is separate from us. Yeah. And then um, in that, God's going to have his own purposes for them, which means he's going to create them with their own special identity, their own passions, um, their own challenges, and all of those things just like us, yeah. right? And so we see them as that whole person. Yeah. Um, and then... And then we love them well. Yeah. <laughs> and so. And, uh, part of doing that, I mean, I think we've been blessed to be able to go from one uh, one really um, great church body to another. Mm-hmm. Um, but you and I were at our, our, the church we attend now, Story mm-hmm. City here in, in L.A. Mm-hmm. And um, we were pretty sure it was our pastor, Jared, who had <laughs> talked about this. Yeah. We were talking about that before and we. We're ninety nine percent sure, um, but in talking about you know loving your neighbor as yourself includes mm-hmm. the assumptions you make about your neighbor. Um, uh, yeah, about their intentions. Yeah, their intentions and, and where mm-hmm. they're coming from. Because like, are we really offering the same grace to them that we would offer to ourselves if we were in the same situation? Yeah, and I think I think that's such a a really important next step, you know, in yeah. understanding them as our neighbor, not just like. We love them as ourselves, so we take care of them as we take care of ourselves and, you know, all those things. But also that we assume the best about their intentions, just like we want others to assume the best about our own intentions, you Mm know. Um, When we falter, you and I, in our conflicts with each other, um, I think we're a lot of the times, like, in our apologies, um, we've had to learn to separate like um, intent from impact, you yeah. know. So we have to apologize and own the impact, regardless of what our intent was. But we also know each other. We know our love for one another, and we believe the best about our intent for each other. Um, and certainly, we try to advocate <laughs> for the other person to believe the best about our own intents, right? Because we. Everybody s- believes the best about their own intentions. <laughs> sure. We are our own <laughs> best know? advocates. Yes, yeah. we are, you know, and that might come from a sinful place, but we do, you know. True, we though. believe the best about our own intentions, yeah. and yet we can be that exact opposite when mm-hmm. we think about others, and particularly our teens. Oh, yeah. Like, I mean, um, I remember when, um, when our littlest had his little... Um, uh, scooter accident 
um, you know, he was with his older brother uh-huh. and we had questions mm-hmm. after that went over and, you know, I'll out myself a little bit. Mm-hmm. I think I immediately kind of assumed the worst or at least like maybe the most neglectful scenario and stuff mm-hmm. only to find out later. Granted, because we were in a rush and I had to take him yeah. to go get treated to come it's out. It's a very bloody scene. Okay, yeah. So yeah. give Stephen some grace. But. Thank, thank you. <laughs> to come out and find out later that he really had been trying to care for him in the mm-hmm. best way that he could. Yeah. Which honestly, once I calmed down made so much more logical sense to me because that was more in line with the personhood of who he is, you know? Um, But the point is that you didn't jump to a best intention assumption about him, you know? And like, that was, you know, you had, you apologized for that later, you know? And, um, because that's what we want to be doing is we want to assume the best intentions in our kids, just like we would do for ourselves, because that's part of loving them as we love ourselves. Yeah. And so um, that's super important um, is not to assume that, you know, (laughs) it's again, like playing God, you know, like assume that, you know, the heart of behind every decision your child makes. It's one thing to know your children well, but you don't necessarily know their heart all the time. Yeah. And you might know their habits really well, but right. And I mean, we do so much better to assume the best in them and give and, and extend grace. Yeah. Even if you're wrong. Right. Like, even if you're wrong, do it anyway, because that's what God told us to do. Yeah. Love our neighbor as ourselves. He didn't say, like, love your neighbor as yourself if your neighbor has the maturity level of an adult. and <laughs> Yeah. Well, to the believer, when was the last time God didn't look at you in the most positive light? Right. You right. Know? Because of who we are in Christ. Right. Right. Yeah, we've inherited um, a gracious assumption. Yeah. You know, because God sees us as Jesus. Yeah. Gracious indeed, because we are so undeserving of it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, And so we can extend that to our kids, and I think it's a really important extension. Yeah. Um, And I mean, and they need grace from us because... Let's let's just go ahead and put the cards on the table. Being a teenager is hard. Oh, for sure. And we, have we not? How quickly have we forgotten as parents? Yeah, you know? we as adults often really belittle the teenage years and the teenage angst and the teenage drama and the yeah. You know, we we have a million words for it, a million jokes for it, and um. And over time, we've just completely forgotten that it's really, really tough to be a teenager. Yeah. And I mean, it was it was hard for us when we were there. Mm-hmm. And it's, I mean, I don't know. I don't know if I would say it's harder now, but it certainly is a different kind of hard in yeah. some places that we don't really know anything about firsthand mm-hmm. um, because of how the world is now compared to how it was then. Yeah. And I think it's important to remember going all the way back to like, you know, the coaching metaphors and stuff, like we as parents, you know, we, we had to grow and get comfortable in our skin and, and get familiar with the roles that we were in to be any good at them, you know? Mm-hmm. And when I was a teenager, I can look back at the stuff that I dealt with as a teenager. And sometimes I even, and I still remember like things that made me really anxious. I'm like, why did I just talk to that person yeah. instead of like creating all these scenarios in my head and everything. But I was dealing with teenage problems with a teenage mind and a teenage maturity. 
teenage level of experience. Yeah, and teenage know. experience, which wasn't much. Right. <laughs> um, so, you know, there's got to be some grace for that. Mm-hmm. Um, because when I have teenage experience and a teenage mind and teenage ability, a teenage problem it's can a, feel really big. It, well, it is really it big. It is really you big, know? yeah. Um, yeah. So, um, I mean, I think even at the most basic levels, we think about the fact that, um, you know, hormones are changing. And that is a punchline to a joke, but it's not a joke. <laughs> it's like, science. You know, your, hormo- <laughs> your hormones really can mess you up. Yeah. You know? I mean, your body chemistry being changing yeah. out of whack, that, that will affect a, a human body. Yeah. <laughs> and and so, I mean, I think sometimes there's stuff our kids are experiencing that, I, that they really and truly can't control. Yeah. Um, and we have tried to, like, help our kids realize that. Because um, as much as, like, we can be quick to... As adults, we can be quick to, um, you know, be mad at teens for the way that they act or whatever when they're out of control. Our our teens can beat themselves up over that stuff, too. Because it's not like they particularly understand what's going on. Right. And they're like, man, I messed up. I don't know why I got so upset. I don't know why. They can't even explain the whys of stuff because it's beyond their body control, you know? And so we've tried to help our kids, like, just label that, like, okay, you know what? You're feeling really upset, and you you don't even know why, right? Like, you don't even, you, you don't know why. Yeah. You know, and um, we're like, that really stinks, you know. It's so hard to feel out of control of your emotions. Yeah. Um, and, you know, kids are dealing with so much more. I think external pressure mm-hmm. than we did at, at our ages. I mean, there was an element of it maybe uh, when we were teenagers, but like this constant like pressure to like have your life figured out before you even know how to do life in the first place. Right. Yeah. I think um, these like high stakes decisions keep getting pushed on younger and younger teens. Yeah. Um, you know, you're expected to narrow your extracurricular focus. If you're a sports kid, you got to have one sport now. Yeah. Um, if you are a smart kid, you need to already know what career you're going to choose. Right. And you're going to go to that magnet high school and you're going <laughs> to, you know. Um, and it's like, wow, man, kids are not prepared for that. No. You know, and like, I, mean, I know adults who aren't prepared for that. You, you jokingly, or not really, but, you know, jokingly said it's science about the hormones, but, like, it's science yeah. about the way our brains have developed. Yeah. You know, your brain is not fully developed as a teenager. Mm-hmm. So it's so absurd to be putting pressure on teenagers to make a decision for the rest of their life as a teenager and not just that sort of conscious intentional pressure but like this unconscious pressure too i'm curious how aware this generation this technological generation of teenagers would be aware of it how much under their microscope they've been their whole life Mm -hmm. um so i um i am old enough 
that um, I was in high school before the major proliferation of cell phones and stuff like, and social yeah. media and stuff. Like that was just starting to become a thing right as I was leaving high school. Mm-hmm. And um, I read a Twitter thread the other day where somebody was like, hey, old people, you know, like me. And they're like, what do you uh, miss the most about pre-cell phone times? And I mm-hmm. reluctantly started reading the comments because it never ends well on Twitter. <laughs> but um, one common thread I noticed was um, people – sort of mourning the ability to the the ability to be invisible for a little while like of their yeah. choosing yeah like um you know the the implicit trust of of a disconnect um of communication like mm-hmm. whether it's telling their parents they were going to go to a friend's house and like mm-hmm. nobody thought that was sketchy yeah or nobody tracked you when you drove there or whatever right um or even parlaying that into their careers now of like I'm I'm at a place now where I have to answer emails during the holidays if I get a text from my boss or something right. like that and I'm expected to reply. You know, these these kinds of things and like that that microscope constant surveillance kind of pressure. I don't yeah. know if, since those kids really haven't lived without that world. Right. If they even know that it's there or yeah. that there's an alternative. Well, I know I think you know? about like our kids and how, you know, used to you could escape um the pressures of like being cool, right. <laughs> right? Like at the end of your like school day or whatever, at the end of your practice, you go home and you just like, you just be you for a little while yeah. at, in your house. But now there's like the, the communication with your friends, it never ends. Yeah. You know, um, there is a constant plethora of text coming in, you know, and, like Molly, I think is in like five thousand group chats. Oh, gosh. I, I honestly have no idea how she keeps up with it. <laughs> Me either. You know, and she's in a million group chats. So it's not only is she talking one on one with a friend, but it's like she's talking where so many people can see it at all times. You know, yeah. and um, so yeah, so it's never you're never really getting a break from having to be on your game. You know. And I mean, obviously, we can hope for our kids to make like genuine friendships where their friends appreciate them for who they are and they can feel relaxed with them, you know. But um, there's still a certain amount of pressure to just the never ending communication and observation that has come along with technology. So give them some grace. Yeah. Yeah, consider this a hard season, yeah. <laughs> you know, and just like we talked about in the episode where we talked about loving people through hard seasons, um, the teenage years, they are a hard season. And so our kids need extra measures of grace. Yeah. And just because it's going to be hard doesn't mean it has to be full of dread, though. Yeah. You know? Yeah. No, I mean. Hard things can be rewarding. Yes. And, um. You know, like my therapist even was talking to me recently about like the idea that um, God in his love for us as his children is constantly like testing us, right? And that is going to feel uncomfortable, but he's testing us because he is constantly making us new. He's growing us. He's making us into something more beautiful, more like Jesus. Um, and so our kids, they're, they're going through a big, tough test and a big, tough transition. 
but they're being made into something new. They're they're going beyond the cute little kid <laughs> and into this really cool person that we get to journey with and that we get to be friends with and all this really fun stuff. And so they're becoming someone super cool. Yeah. So we get to the joy of hanging out with all the time. Yeah. And occasionally they're not going to be a joy. <laughs> <laughs> Spoiler alert, neither am I occasionally. Right? I mean, you know. Because they're in the midst of a transition. And like yeah. the transition means like sometimes you're inside the chrysalis and you're a yucky blob. Okay. And like, <laughs> it's okay. And like, then a, a wing peeks out and it's awesome, you know? And so like, we're just going to give them lots of grace for the days that they're the blob. And then we just get super excited each time we see a glimpse of the wing, you know? Yes. And, um, I think the teenage years are worthy of excitement rather than dread. Yeah. Well said. Yeah. I think that's a good place to wrap up. Yeah. So our plan moving forward is that we will be um, starting to tackle some um, listener questions. And so if you have questions about raising teens or thoughts that you want to share with your wisdom with us, we would love, love, love to hear it. So please um, share our podcast connect with, with us on your on social medias yeah Peace um, in the Valley podcast on Instagram and mm-hmm. honestly I think if you search Peace in the Valley podcast on Facebook you'll find our Facebook page too yeah so please connect with us ask us some questions give us some advice we'd love to cover that um, I know next week we'll be covering a topic that one of our listeners Angel um, gave to us which was a question about how to get our teens and preteens to open up more Um, So we're excited to kind of flesh out how these parenting philosophies that we shared tonight play out in real life in our home um, and kind of get to the answers of some of these questions. And thanks, Angel, for reaching out. Yeah. We really appreciate your listening. And everyone else is listening too. Please again um, share this. Share this with the people you know. Uh, we'd love to engage with you guys, talk to you guys. I've already uh, mentioned where you can find us on social media. Uh, please, you know, like and uh, subscribe or rate, review our uh, podcast. You can find it on Apple Podcasts. You can also find it on uh, Anchor and Spotify. And please um, share our podcast with your friends because we so want your awesome reviews and ratings. Um, but even more, we want to have. Your friends listen with us and the best like compliment you can give us is that you share us with your friends and so um we're super thankful for that um i know even just last week um our friends over at the crimes and closet podcast actually um shared us on their social medias which we so oh, thank appreciated. you ladies and, i love um, their show too <laughs> so it was super nice to um just have them um, put us out there into the world. And so, um, yeah, we're just so thankful for any of you who are doing that and supporting us in that way. Thank you so much. And, uh, it's been a pleasure to come back and we will see you next week. And, uh, until then, uh, we look forward to meeting you again. Thanks for joining us. And this has been peace in the Valley.